When it comes to the deity of Jesus Christ, we understand he's as much God as if he were not man. And as far as his humanity, he's as much man as if he were not God. So the question is, who is it that dies on the cross? God, man, both? The Mystery Unraveled, next on Graceful Truth with Steve Converse. From Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, greetings in Christ, and welcome to today's broadcast of Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. We're continuing our series, A Walk with Christ to the Cross, as we look forward to Easter, Resurrection Sunday and Good Friday at the end of this month. Our time today will be spent looking at the deity of Christ, as well as his humanity, and understanding why both are necessary on the cross for your salvation and mine. Join us as we continue our series, A Walk with Christ to the Cross. Once again, here's Pastor Steve Converse now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. When Jesus came to earth, he remained God, but he took on humanity. He became a real man in addition to being totally, absolutely, really God. He'd always been God, but he added you might say the extra baggage and the extra burden of becoming human. Can you imagine not being human and having to become human? All the things we put up with. I mean, just this body, just the limitations of our body. I mean, that's just amazing to me. He took on all that extra baggage and that burden of becoming a human being. However, unlike us, he did not sin. He was perfect. He didn't have a sinful nature. With our little minds, our pea brain minds, we can never quite understand that mystery. But that's what the Bible teaches. When Christ became a man, he voluntarily laid aside, you might say, the independent use of his divine powers and his rights. And he humbled himself and submitted himself to the Father's will. Jesus never ceased to be God. Doesn't mean that. But he veiled his deity in human flesh. And he lived in earth in total dependence upon the will of his heavenly Father. Jesus never did anything outside of his Father's will. Ever. Not once. Stop and think about that. He never had a selfish thought. He never had a selfish word. He never did anything that was selfish. Not one single thing. He lived on earth as the Father's sinless bond servant. Think of after church you had the opportunity to, those of you who maybe like basketball, suppose the greatest basketball player in the league today showed up in your backyard to play you one-on-one after lunch. So you invite all your friends over. <laughs> They're all watching this. You know what? I mean, it's kind of scary, the the thought of it. You're going to play this guy? I mean, he's probably close to seven feet tall almost. How could he even get on the same court with this superstar? But he kind of looks at you and realizes your fears. He he understands that, you know, you're not as tall as him. You're probably not as skilled as him. You're not as professional as him in this area of expertise. So he comes up with a plan. He promises to tie his shooting arm behind his back, whichever arm it is, right, left, whatever. And this would help you at least relate to this great player in the game because he'd be meeting you at least a little closer to your level if you're good. If you're like me, then just, you know, you know, the prayer. He could tie his hands and his feet and everything, and he'd still lose. But see, in his great glory as God in heaven, Christ was so overwhelming that human eyes could not have looked on him and lived. And so Christ, when he came down to earth, he kind of veiled, you might say, his great glory and his power in what we call human flesh. And see, just as that basketball player superstar came down to your level, 
by tying one or both of his arms behind his back. Even so, Christ came down to earth on our level to become a human being so we could identify, so he could leave us an example that we need to follow. See, if he came down purely as God and said, hey, do this, do that, you know, I mean, we can't relate to him now, even in human flesh sometimes. Can you imagine if he didn't even do that? It would be impossible. And so it wasn't easy for Christ to do that, to lay aside his rights as God. See, we need to see that Jesus assumed this humble position in order to redeem us. He didn't come in all his glory and all this. That's, that's going to happen. But that, that wasn't then. Fourth thing here is to understand the humbling step Christ took to reach you and me. Not only to understand the, the heights from which he came or his power, or to understand that he had to empty himself, he had to humble himself, but also we need to realize that he took the form of a bondservant, it says. Well, what is a bondservant? Very simply, a bondservant is a slave who willingly gives up his rights to serve his master. So at that time in history, there were some slaves that said, you know what? I'll be an equal here. I mean, I understand. I don't stay here, but I'd, I'd still like to serve your family, and I'll stay here. And they continued to have their needs met, and they continued to, you know, be part of that family because that's how they were looked at. See, Jesus Christ willingly became God's servant for the good of all mankind. That's what he did when he came down. Jesus Christ didn't walk through his life like some pompous king, even though he was a king, who barely tolerates his people. He didn't do that. When Christ walked on earth... He was God's loyal servant who ministered sacrificially to everyone, to all mankind, whoever he came in contact with. See, Jesus gave up his personal rights as God to make sure that he served all of us. That's what he did. He took on the form of a bond servant. He, he could have performed miracles and, and for his personal comfort and prestige. <laughs> he could have done that. You know, hey, look at me kind of thing. He didn't do that. He could have demanded the whole world worship him. But he didn't do that. He could have chosen not to die on the cross and allow the whole world to go to hell. Suffer in hell for eternity. But he chose instead to do the Father's will and to die on a cross for all of us. The Bible says that he could have commanded thousands of angels to kill his enemies at any time. He could have just went, boom, your toast, gone. <laughs> That's the kind of power that Christ had. But he didn't do it. In 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Bible says, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you understand that? I mean, he was rich. He was God. And when he came to earth, he became poor. Still God, but he became poor. The Bible says that sometimes he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Matter of fact, there were people that followed Christ on occasion, and they'd say, oh, fine, you know, hey, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you'll go, Jesus, over in, in, in Luke 9, I think it is. And he says, I don't even have a place to lay my head. Well, I'll go, let me go bury my father first. Or I'll go, I have to go say goodbye to my family. They're always coming up with excuses. But they saw the big entourage that Jesus had. They saw all the people that were following him. And they probably saw some of the miracles he performed. And some of the people of the day thought, hey, i got to get in on this. This looks pretty good. I mean, this guy's bringing, bringing in the dough. Well, none of that was going on. Because Christ didn't have ulterior motives. He became poor. So that through his poverty, we might become rich. The Bible also says in Isaiah 53, 3, that he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. See, you know, the one thing we need to do is we need to go through all of our Christian literature and go into all the Christian bookstores and find all the portraits of Jesus, even though nobody was ever there who painted him. Because they always have him as this dashing man with flowing brownish blonde hair and piercing blue eyes and this killer smile. And 
That's not what Jesus looked like, beloved. That's not what he looked like. As a matter of fact, it almost says here, like one from whom men hide their face. When he walked on the earth, people brought, oh, what happened to you? He was not pleasant to the eye. It says that we did not esteem him. See, so we gotta, we got to take all these flowery images of Jesus and just flush him down the toilet because that's not probably what he looked like. You know, he wasn't this guy that we see in the movies and all this. That's not what we see. Was he physically fit? You bet. As most of the people of that day were. You couldn't do some of the things that he did without being physically fit. But I can tell you, he wasn't good looking. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, this is so important, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he not only... For, he not only gave up his, his riches, he not only gave up all that he had in, in heaven and came down here to earth and says that he was, he was despised by men, but it says that he also was sinless. He was perfect in every way. And he didn't know sin, ever. I mean, we can't even be, begin to think that. We can't even enter into that, that realm of thinking because sin is all around us, it's in us, it's through us, it's all over the place. But the Bible says in that verse that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. And the way to think of this is, is simply this. When Jesus was on the cross, God treated him who was sinless. He treated him as if he had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe in his name. Now, I don't know about your life, but I just look at the sins in my life and I've got a pretty long list. Now, can you imagine being totally sinless, totally perfect, and having the burden, not just of Steve Converse laid upon him, but the burden of sin of everybody who would ever put their faith and trust in Christ was laid upon him at the cross. That's like walking into San Quentin and saying, you know what, check my record, I have never committed any crime at all. But you know what, I want you to take all the crimes of all the people that were in this place today, and I want you to put them on my account, and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to serve them so they can go free. <laughs> I mean, we can't even comprehend that. You say, well, that's a stupid illustration. Yeah, it is, because there's nothing that compares to what Christ did. He gave up that, that ability to not even be have sin put on him, and he took it upon himself. Also, in Mark 10, 45, the Bible says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, <laughs> and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, this Jesus Christ that we're talking about, even though he could have come to be served, and people would have willingly served him, because he was God. But he, that wasn't his purpose. His purpose was to what? To serve. See, just like when you come to Christ and you put your faith and your trust in Christ and you're so happy and the burden of sins lifted from your, your, your life and boy, you know, gosh, what do I do now? What's he want you to do? He wants you to serve him. However he's gifted you, whatever calling on your life he's put, whatever it is, he wants you to serve him. Because we know that Jesus Christ didn't come into the world just to be served, but he came to serve. And see, sometimes as Christians, after we, you know, get Christ and we get forgiven and everything, then all of a sudden we're, we're too good to serve anybody. And we, we begin to think a little more of ourselves than we ought. And the Bible says, no, don't go down that road. You better remember from where you came. Remember the path to hell that you were on. Remember all the sin that was unforgiven in your life. Don't think that you're some pious, righteous person when you talk to somebody who's outside of the faith. Because, brothers and sisters, we're all just sinners saved by what? Grace. There's no hierarchy here. There's no, oh, that guy wears a collar. That guy wears... It's, it's ridiculous the way we think sometimes. 
but we need to serve one another in love. Willingly, Christ laid aside his divine rights in order to be the greatest servant who ever lived. Time and time again, his concern about serving others came to the the forefront. He let the very people he served even mistreat him on occasion. The angels in heaven must have really been in great wonder as they looked down and observed this whole thing. In John 1.10, the Bible speaking of Christ says, He was in the world and the world was made through Him and the world did not know Him. He came to His own. His own He came to, it says, and those who were His own did not receive Him. See, we're beginning to see these humbling steps that Christ had to take in order to redeem us, to, to allow us to have peace with God. There's a couple more things. So in order to understand these humbling steps that Christ took to reach you and me, first of all, we need, or fifthly here, we need to see that he was made in the likeness of men. And he was found in appearance as a man. Philippians 2, 7 and 8 says that. It tells us the amazing truth that Jesus Christ took on human nature and he was recognized as a real man by those who saw him. And that's, once again, one of those mysteries in our mind. We don't totally understand that, but the fact remains that Jesus Christ really... You might say, kind of possessed two natures. He had a, 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 a human nature and he had a divine nature. He had a human body and it had a, he had a divine nature to him. He was perfect God-man. 100% God, 100% man. There was no conflict between his two natures at that point. And as the God-man, he was fully committed to doing the will of his heavenly Father. Hebrews 4.15 tells us this, For we do not have a high priest... Jesus Christ, who cannot sympathize with our weakness. In other words, we don't have somebody up there dressed with all this garb, performing some religious task that has no idea what's going on in our lives. That's not what we serve today. But he says, but we have one, in Hebrews 4.15, who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. That means he can identify with us. He knows what that means. I gave you a little list there, I think, in your outline. On the back page. And the one thing, you don't have to do it now, but sometime, you know, stop and think about how human Christ was. I mean, I put there, I get tired. I don't know, do you get tired? I get tired sometimes. You may be getting tired right about now. I don't know, but we just got a couple more minutes, so hang in there. But I get tired. You know what? Just on that right hand with those little dots in, just put, so did Christ. I get hungry. You know what? So did Christ. I get harassed by too many people. Well, so did Christ. I cry. So did Christ. I get happy. So did Christ. All those human elements are right there in the Scriptures for us to see in His humanity. It's amazing to know that the Son of God allowed Himself to experience all these humbling circumstances and these these sorrowful times. He was Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Unfortunately, the Bible tells us also that the people of Christ's day, they accepted his humanity, but they rejected what? The fact that he was God. They just said, nah, can't go there, sorry. Hey, you're a nice guy, you do these little you know, miracles and stuff, and yeah, you got some smart things to say now and then, but yeah, fully God, I don't think so. They reasoned he was born just like them, so how could he claim to be God? And because of the hardness of their hearts, few saw that he was the God-man, the Messiah, the one who came to save them from their sins. I mean, you would think that Christ had humbled himself enough that everybody would believe in him. I mean, what else does he have to do? He laid aside his personal rights as God when he came to earth. In deep humility, he became a servant of everybody. He experienced human emotions and many hard trials as well. In other words, he didn't isolate it from himself. He went through very hard times. We're going to be looking at some of them in the coming weeks. 
What more can we ask of Him? And yet the Bible teaches us that Christ stepped even down further on the line of humility to say this. Because the third principle is we need to see that Christ was completely obedient to the Father, even to the point of dying on the cross in order to redeem us. That brings us to the last point here. To understand the humbling steps Christ took to reach you and me, save us from our sins, we need to see that He became obedient even to the place of death on a cross. Jesus Christ became an example to us as what it means to be totally obedient to God the Father. If you ever want to say, well, what's it mean to be obedient to God? Look at the life of Christ. Although it says He was equal with God, He voluntarily decided to depend upon the Heavenly Father and obey Him in everything. And so as He walked on this earth, He was constantly sensitive to what the Father wanted. Constantly. John uh, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20 says, Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself unless it is something He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself is doing. The greater works and the greater works than these He will show Him that you may marvel. Stop and think of this illustration. Our hands are controlled by what? If we're a functioning human being. Our brain, right? Our hands are controlled by our brain. Um, It's not the other way around. That would be a scary thought. Okay, but, um, you know, our hands are controlled by our brain. See, when a person's hand moves apart from instruction from their brain, what do we call that? Call it a spasm, right? Kind of, you know, people that do that. I mean, they're they're kind of, their body's having a spasm, a spastic movement. Um, Some of them have spastic moments too, but, you know, we're talking about spastic movements here. So if the brain doesn't tell the hand to do something, it's doing it, it's a spastic movement. But if the brain gives a command to the hand and the command doesn't move, what do we call that? Paralyzation, right? I mean, God forbid you're laying in bed someday and you're going, okay, I've got to get out of bed. Feet move, legs move. See, and, and we have to understand that Jesus never acted on his own. Nor did he ever refuse to respond when he was given a command by the Heavenly Father. He wasn't paralyzed and he was never spastic. He was under complete yielding to the Heavenly Father even to the point of death. Being obedient to the Father cost Jesus Christ more than it cost any other person in history. He voluntarily obeyed the Father to the extent that it led to his death. I think it was, I don't know, John MacArthur, somebody wrote a book, Who Killed God? Or an article or something. And then it said, God did. Who killed God? Who killed Jesus? God did. It was the Father's will that he die on the cross. Now, with that being said, dying is never probably an easy thing. Dying is not so much the thing, it's the process that I'm not looking forward to, whatever that may look like. Hope it's quick and you know, speedy, but you never know. But even that thought of that, kind of, we don't, you know, that's not something we ponder every day. See, man's whole body and soul cry out to live rather than to die. That's just in our human nature. I mean, when you see somebody in harm's way that could possibly be killed, usually we want to help them out of that situation. We don't just sit back and go, this would be interesting. Baby's crossing the freeway. I mean, we wouldn't ever do that. We would we intervene to spare that life. See, by his word, he breathed life into all creation. The Bible says that in John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was light of men. See, Christ was the epitome of life, and yet he gave all that up physically to die on the cross because he loved us so much. And dying on the cross, as we said, was a very shameful and dreadful experience. And Roman law basically protected any Roman citizen from being executed. That's how horrible it was. They wouldn't allow their own people to be crucified, just other people. I mean, what more could Christ do than what he did on the cross for all mankind? He humbled himself 
as much as he could. He, he's, he's reaching out to us this morning. He's saying, I don't know what else I can do. I am totally God. I've always been God. I came. I took on a body. I lived a life that was exemplary before you. Served people. Died on a cross. And I'm here to tell you that, you know what? I died in your place. And that should grab our heart. Because, you know, not many times do people die in our place. Maybe some of you who have served in the military here could say that. That you were in a, a certain situation and somebody jumped on the grenade or whatever and spared your life. But that's not a daily event in life. That's something very special. And that's what Christ did for us. And that's, that's the beginning. That's the foundation we want to lay for the next couple of weeks. So that we understand that Jesus Christ, he wasn't just a good man. He was very God in human form. Let's close in a word of prayer this morning and we'll have our communion time together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that your son was obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And uh, Lord, we don't, uh, at least in this country, practice crucifixion. But Lord, it is a very excruciating, painful death. And Lord, for you, the King of glory, the God of gods to come down to this earth and die in that way, it just shows that you, you were truly humiliated, that you were truly willing to be humiliated. And it's, it's not just so that people one day could say, oh, isn't that person humble? <laughs> but it had a purpose, and the purpose was that he could die in our place for our sins. Because, beloved, that's one thing that's going to happen to every one of us. Every one of us, sooner or later, will leave this earth, will leave this body, will give up our last breath, and will die. That's what happens. It's part of life. And the key is to understanding that you need to be ready for that time. You know, we can't just... Well, you know, when it happens, it happens. You know, you, there's, a, there's a life after this one. There's an eternity, and you're going to spend it in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And the interesting thing, the only thing you can do in this life to assure you of heaven is not to join a church, not to give money, not to help the poor. All those things are great, but that's not going to guarantee you heaven. Going to confession, doing all this stuff, that's not going to give you a guarantee of heaven. I know, I, I grew up with that whole thing in my background. The only guarantee we have of heaven is when we stop and... We look at the cross and we put our faith and our trust in the work that Christ has already accomplished for us. It's not about what you do as a Christian. It's about what was done for you already. What are you trusting in? Are you trusting in what you do every day? The Bible says our our works are like filthy rags before a holy God. Almost they make him sick when we try to use those works to gain entrance to heaven. That's not something that pleases him. He wants us to come before him broken, destitute, realizing that the only way out of this mess that we put ourselves into is through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to do. And I pray this morning, if you've yet to commit your life to Christ, I pray that you would cry out to him this morning. Be merciful to me, O God, a sinner. Allow me to experience your love and your forgiveness as I've never experienced it before. Make me whole. Take the burden of my sin and transfer it to Christ. Because in him I can be righteous. In him I can have forgiveness. In him I can find joy and peace and happiness. Outside of that, it's just like chasing the wind. Father, we thank you for our time this morning. We pray that you would draw our hearts close to you, even closer through our communion time. And Lord, uh, we just pray that you would uh, minister to us as we uh, seek to remember the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. And Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning for each one here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're out of time. That'll close out our time together today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. 
If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for praise and worship, service time, 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up through grade 5. And if you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's our phone number, 650-366-9923. You can also find more information about us and who we are on our website, which is gracefultruth.org. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City, the zip code 94061. Also, we have a discernment seminar coming up with Justin Peters. That's Friday, March 22nd, 7 p.m., and then all day Saturday, March 23rd, 9 and 11, with Sunday morning services at 10 a.m. held by Justin Peters. Again, this is a marvelous seminar on discernment, a call for discernment, a biblical critique of the Word of Faith movement. Are Christians really little gods? Did Jesus die spiritually and pay for our sins in hell? And should we all speak in tongues? What about being slain in the Spirit? What are the signs of a false prophet? Is it always God's will to be physically healed? Is healing in the atonement? And if I'm not healed, is it my fault? These questions are asked constantly in our society, and they're presented to us in such a way as to say that if we don't answer them right, we're not godly. We're not even Christians. Justin Peters Ministries will be dealing with all this again here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Friday, March 22nd, Saturday, March 23rd, and Sunday, March 24th. The seminar is free. There will be a love offering taken. And for more information, simply visit our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, call. And that phone number again is 650-366-9923. Thank you so much for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.